This episode is brought to you by DRB Facility Services. DRB provides a full range of facility services for both corporate and government clients. To learn more, please visit drbfacilityservices.com. That's drbfacilityservices.com. Hi, I'm Juliette Mayers. Welcome to Entering the Inspiration Zone with Juliette Mayers, a podcast for business professionals and entrepreneurs seeking positive connection and professional development. As an accomplished author, speaker, DEI strategist, and member of Forbes Coaches Council, I am living the dream, and I love helping others achieve their dreams. Each episode, I will share with you actionable steps that you can take to build the work and life you've imagined. Welcome. I'm so excited to have with me today, David House. Named one of the 100 most influential people in Boston, David is a recognized speaker and commentator on the arts and social integration. He's executive director of Arts Emerson at Emerson College. When I first met David, he was executive director of the award-winning Boston Children's Chorus, an organization that harnesses the power of music to connect diverse communities, cultivate empathy, and inspire social inquiry. David serves on numerous boards, but in particular is quite a giant when it comes to cultural institutions. He serves on the board of the Museum of Fine Arts, Boston Symphony Orchestra, and the Norman Rockwell Museum, and has a lot, lot more in terms of his contributions to the Arts Society, and we'll get to talk to him about that. But first, I want to just welcome you, David. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much, Julia. It's a great pleasure to be on Inspiration Zone and to hear your voice and to be in this conversation with you. Terrific, terrific. So today we're going to be talking about advancing cultural exchange through inclusivity. And that is something that you do amazingly well and very excited to have this conversation. And as you know, David, we always start here at Inspiration Zone podcast with getting our listeners familiar with who David House is. So give us a little bit about your background and who you are. Well, great. Thank you, Juliet. Happy to share a little bit about my background. I like to believe it's really uninteresting, but it um, certainly is my story. So I'd start by saying my journey to this conversation, my journey to where um, I am here at Arts Emerson is the most improbable one. You know, growing up in Tennessee in the 70s and 80s, I couldn't have imagined sort of being in a position where I had the opportunity to amplify the voices of those who've not often been heard in our arts and cultural community. And particularly doing that work here in um, the city of Boston, a a city that I love, but a city that, as we know, has a a history of racial discord and disconnection. So I came here from my undergrad to go to grad school at New England Conservatory of Music. And my journey here started some 26 years ago, and I've continued that work. And it's really interesting. I think about when people ask, you know, who are you? What do I do? I always start by saying I'm a musician by training. I uh, make theater by day and by night, and I spend as much time in the visual arts as um, humanly possible. And the common thread through all those things is this narrative of and lens of social justice, using the arts to connect us more deeply to each other. And, you know, I also believe strongly that service is the rent that we pay 
to live on this earth. And I've dedicated my service through the arts and using those arts, as I say, as a catalyst for change. The arts have been the tool that inspired my sense of a better world. And, you know, I also believe in the words of Maya Angelou when she says, in my work and in everything I do, I mean to say that we as humans are more alike than we are unalike. And to use that statement to break down the walls that we put between ourselves because we are different. And it's that quote that has really shaped and really illustrates uh, what I hope to accomplish in this life that I'm living in this moment. And I've done that and I continue to do that through the arts with the great partnership with so many people who have believed in me, who've supported me, and continue to encourage me along the way. No man is an island, just to be clear. So I do this work in a great community with a great community right behind me. Terrific, terrific. And and you do it well. I have to say I've been a guest at some of the fabulous events that either Arts Emerson was sponsoring or others have sponsored on behalf of Arts Emerson and such a diverse group. And, and so you absolutely are living your values. So so thank you for that. Now, you mentioned Boston and the challenges that the historic legacy of Boston. And I'm curious in terms of what do you see as some of the challenges of promoting diversity and inclusion in the arts world? Let's see. I think one of the greatest challenges is imagination. We live in a world that has been shaped by Eurocentric culture that has been not always kind to everyone, has not always uh, made space for different stories. And sometimes it's hard for us to imagine the role that arts can play, and particularly arts from the voices of BIPOC creators, makers. Hard to imagine what that might be might be possible. So the challenges are for us to actually overcome our own sense of what is for arts and culture and to believe in the great opportunities and possibilities of those who've not always had positions and opportunities in our institutions and in our cultural venues. You know, after the George Floyd moment, there was a pendulum swing where many arts and culture institutions began to foreground artists of color as a response to what was happening. And while I celebrate that with my whole heart, I also fear that it could be painting a fresh coat of paint on a rotten structure. And what I am asking is that we not only foreground artists of color on our stages, on our walls, and our museums, but we also think about the structures that have kept them out for so long. And let's actually interrogate those cultures as well. So I think those challenges are to move beyond what may be seen as important window dressing and to get to some of the root causes so that we can really think about our collective role in telling the full narrative of this United States um, of America. Terrific, terrific. Yeah, I think that's an interesting, of course, you're a creative person when you said putting a fresh coat of paint, I almost visualize, right? <laughs> you know, yes, exactly. Visualize what, what that is. And that's why what you do is so important. One thing that I think would be helpful is if you can think about, so what is your vision when you think about the role of inclusivity in the arts and things that leaders can do specifically? Because what I think you're talking about is cultural change, structural change. So what are some of the things that you think leaders can do to address these challenges? Well, I will say that many institutions, many leaders are on a journey, a journey of understanding what it means to be relevant, to be relative, and to be um, 
impactful in our new normal, right? And so there's a lot of progress already underway. And I just, I want to celebrate that. But I think what leaders have to do, boards have to do is listen to those who are the most vulnerable populations, right? The answers are right in front of us oftentimes. And we're not listening. We at Arts Emerson talk about curatorial listening. So when we think about the work that we're putting on our stages. That's not just what David loves, just not what my colleague Ronnie Pinoy loves. It's actually us trying to listen deeply enough to be challenged by what we hear from our communities and then reflecting what we're hearing on the stage and then to go back to the communities to say, hey, did we get this right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's like, yeah, you were right on the mark. And sometimes I like, yeah, that's not what I meant. And so it's a practice of curatorial listening, li listening deeply so that we can actually be informed by the people who are impacted by the work that we are doing. That's one thing that we can do differently is listen with our full ears. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that definitely applies not only to the arts, but really leadership in general, right? In terms of listening and making sure we're not assuming that we know what people want and including those voices as a part of the process. Yeah. So thank you for that. Uh, you've had so many career highlights and can you think of a success story or initiative? I know I can, but I want you to say it that has made a significant impact on promoting diversity in the arts. Absolutely. It's one of my favorite initiatives that we started several years ago, and I know that you are very aware of it and have been involved in it. It's called the Gaining Ground Fund. So when I came to Arts Emerson several years ago, probably nine years, a little under nine years ago now, as hard as it may be to believe, or maybe it's not hard at all to believe, I was one of very few leaders of color, particularly a Black leader, to lead a theater at this scale across the country, right? So when I came into this role, many people thought I was the education director. They thought I was the outreach person. And I was like, no, you know, believe it or not, I'm the executive director. And so I began to ask questions around whose voices aren't being heard on the in the American theater. And again, this is pre-George Floyd, okay? And so I thought, well, how do we provide resources for artists, particularly Black artists, who are invited into these spaces, but told that they have to tell a story in a certain way with very limited resources, and they can't offend, antagonize the assets, or they can't offend the audiences. And so I thought, well, what if we reimagine that? What if we provided resources for artists to believe and dream and develop projects in their full voice with all the intentions? And I said, can we do that? And, you know, so we developed what we call the Gaining Ground Fund, which is a fund that supports artists whose work reflect the African diaspora experience in America. And when I we embarked upon this, many people told me that I couldn't do it. It was illegal to have a fund that supported, you know, a specific demographic. And I said, these are for our, all artists who are reflecting the African diaspora experience. So it was a larger lens, but the intention was clear. And so I said also, I wanted to make sure that we were seeding that fund with the proverbial Black dollar, right? I wanted to make sure that the Black community not only were participating in this project, but really owned the project. And of course, then people are like, oh, are there no people who have resources in the Black community? How are you going to start this? And I said, oh, all you have to do is open your eyes. It is right in front of us. And you didn't have the imagination to see that there is Black wealth. It's not in the numbers that we need it to be, but there are people with resources and they would be happy to support an initiative along these lines. And so I then had to go out with my team to try to prove that was the truth. And, you know, with to no surprise, the community showed up. 
And we embarked upon a $3 million campaign and again, seeded by Black dollars. And that fund over the last six or seven years has supported probably 15 to 20 different artists of scale, of note, including B.B. Winans, Claudia Rankin, Toshi Regan, um, Esperanza Spaulding and Wayne Shorter before he passed. And the list goes on to actually do work at scale that would be able to move across the country. And so that, if there's, uh, there are many things that I'm proud of um, that the team and I have worked on, but that particular project is one that um, makes me incredibly proud because it, it's, an, it's an endowed fund. So no matter who's in position, it will exist. It will continue to go on and support artists to reflect their full voice, to tell their truth through the theatrical lens. So thank you for giving me the opportunity. I get really excited about the gaming <laughs> fund and its potential. And if there are people who are interested, who are listed, <laughs> they're always interested in finding Finding more partners. Yeah. And congratulations. You know, I'm sure you are well aware of the study that shows the wealth gap Absolutely. disparities for Blacks and people of color in Boston compared to our white brothers and sisters. And it's so important that we not only let people know about that, that there is a gap and we want to do something about it, but also tell a balanced story that there are, as you said, people who are inspired to support others who have resources and can help to advance these cultural institutions. Like I said, I've been to some of them and it's just amazing the work that you're doing and I'm happy to have had the opportunity to participate and look forward to the future. So thank you for that. You mentioned some of the work that you're doing, and you mentioned the fact that, you know, some people question the legality of it. And that made me think of, you know, recently, of course, was the SCOTUS decision on affirmative action in college admissions. And clearly you are in an academic environment. And at the same time, you are in the arts and have this executive role as well. And I'm curious, what impact, if any, do you see that having on the work that you're doing? Well, let me just start by saying how upsetting and disturbing that decision was. And the impacts are tremendous. We're feeling them immediately. And I think the collective impact, if we are not proactive, can have devastating effects. I'll just say perhaps how I imagine it could affect, you know, first of all, the pipeline. Students who are coming to study arts and culture, maybe that's writing, maybe that's filmmaking, they have to come through the educational system. They they don't have to, but many of them come through the colleges and universities. And if, with this ruling, it will have an impact on who we see in our student body if we are not intentional, proactive, and really, in some ways, aggressive in the response. But I also imagine that even what we see on stage, who's telling what we see on stage, and the kinds of themes, the funding for different and various art projects could be at stake. Because many of the artists of color speaking in their own truths are telling stories about their lived experiences, which often are make other, our white colleagues, some uncomfortable, right? And so I can imagine there could be pushback on how we tell those stories and what funding, particularly government funding, supports those kinds of projects. So I think that I want to live in a world where we can tell our full truth 
right? Without the threat of being shut down. And so I'm following very closely the impacts, the decisions that institutions are making to sort of make sure that we can continue to keep our campuses and our our venues rich with the diversity that is our country, right? right? Our cities, our towns are browner than they were, right? And so we have to be able to adapt and make those adjustments. And the arts can be at the forefront of telling those stories, but we have to be able to support all the artists who speak in full voice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you for that. I want to switch gears a little bit. You have also done work internationally. Mm. And, you know, I think part of this cultural exchange reaches far beyond Boston. Tell us about some of the work that you've done in terms of trying to bridge that cultural exchange and and bring together different institutions outside of it. Absolutely. So when Arts Emerson was founded several years ago, it wanted to be additive to the Boston landscape. And we realized then that there's a lot of incredible work going on here. But at the time, there was not international theater. This is a time where we believe that we live in a global world, both local and global world, and both things can be true at the same time. And there are international stories that actually can help us understand who we are as Americans, as Bostonians. And so this notion of cultural exchange, which used to be a a pretty significant part of cultural diplomacy from the state house and from the government, but that has sort of pulled back in time. And we are committed, me and Art Emerson, I should say, and many of our colleagues across the country, in being able to do what we call international presenting, presenting stories and voices from around the world, and also sharing those American stories with our international colleagues. It is so important, you know, particularly in this time where xenophobia continues to be a huge challenge, where we're more focused on ourselves and less on others. International programming allows us to bridge that gap. And I would also say that after the pandemic, when we were forced to close and many institutions start to focus on local artists, which I'm a huge supporter and um, advocate for, but in, in as a result, many institutions spent less time thinking about international partners and international presenting, one, because it was very expensive to do so. Two, we couldn't move people in airplanes at that time. And so we we haven't sprung back. We started to focus more inwardly and more um, locally. And there are a group of us across the country working on what we call the International Presenters Common to actually make sure we're advocating for more international exchange, more funding for international exchange, and being able to use those shared stories to, again, connect us across difference. And in this case, connect us across the pond. Mm -hmm. Yeah, terrific. And what advice do you have for emerging leaders who may want to champion diversity in their respective fields, uh, given in particular all of the challenges that are that people are facing, many of them manufactured, but they're still there, right? And yeah. for those people who are coming up and, and wanting to make their mark and really progress in terms of see, see progression in the arts, what advice would you give to them? One, I would say, this is not easy work. And so I would say, make sure this is the work that you're being called to do, first and foremost. The second I would say, and this is for me the greatest joy, is to spend as much time 
with artists as you can. Spend as much time seeing as much work across disciplines. So if you're a theater professional, make sure you go to the symphony. If you're a symphony, uh, a musician, make sure you go to the museum. We are working in interdisciplinary spaces more and more these days. So being familiar with all types of forms of work that you don't think you would like, spend time learning about it. And then understand what is your intervention. I always say to my colleagues, I ask the question, I should say, what's to be done and what's mine to do? So for emerging artists, emerging um, leaders, I always say, understand what's to be done, but more importantly, understand what is yours to do? What impact are you hoping to make through this collective practice that we call um, art making? Mm -hmm. Love it. Love it. You know, a lot of the listeners to our podcast are business professionals and Certainly the arts sometimes, as you mentioned, imagination is a challenge to a lot of people. But I'm curious what or how can business leaders help in terms of championing the arts and supporting this important cultural exchange that you talk about? I'm so glad you asked that question. My my advice would be don't sleep on the arts. Right. I many of our many people in society in general think of arts as nice to have a practice for the privileged few. And, you know, you have an event and let's get a soloist and sing as window dressing. But I am so convinced that arts, arts leaders, artists, makers are part of the solution to some of these most intractable issues. I'm very inspired by healthcare when they think about prescribing arts as a way of healing, as a way of mindfulness. So I'm often interested in developers, commercial real estate developers, who are thinking about architects, landscape designers, artists, to think about how we make our spaces more welcoming, a sense of belonging for more people. We all know that people are attracted to cities, not just because, certainly not for the weather here in Boston, but because it's a livable place that they can have a place that they can have fun that helps them make meaning. And I think arts has a place in that, not only for healthcare, but in housing issues, in, in the migration and the migrant issue. We have a place to be at that table and want to be seen as thought partners and not as afterthoughts. And so I would encourage business leaders to lean into their arts community, to actually invite artists into their conversations. At one time, I think it was the Harvard Business Review was talking about the, the MFA is the new MBA, right? Hmm. So we need creativity. We need big thinkers. We need people who are innovative entrepreneurs in these businesses. And I think we often overlook the art sector, the makers, the in that conversation. Yeah, yeah, very well said. And it's about that integrated, integrated approach and seeing art as a part of the solution. Uh, so thank you for that. So David, we're going to be coming up on our time. I cannot believe how quickly the time is flying. I want to make sure that one, I talk a little bit about some of the key takeaways that I heard from you, which I think are so powerful. And after I do a little bit of a summary, I'll try to do it justice. You've done given so many wonderful <laughs> nuggets. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and I'm going to ask you to share with our listeners how they can contact you. And of course, we'll include your bio and information in the show notes as well. And so, you know, we started out talking about, you know, this advancing cultural exchange through inclusivity, and you gave some very, very powerful examples of how we can do that. And I love the idea that you really challenge us to not think of the arts as an afterthought, but 
to think of the arts as an integrated part of solutions of what we can do in terms of being creative, being innovative. And so that's a key takeaway that I think as leaders think about whatever the discipline, how can you leverage the arts? And you, you, you use health, healthcare as an example, but I, I love, love that uh, example. You also talked about the importance of people who are a part of groups who may not have as many resources participate actively, that not everyone, there are people who have means and that's important to support the arts. And at the same time, other institutions need to really think critically about supporting the arts as well. I love the fact that you use the word intentionality when you talked about being proactive and encouraging cultural exchanges particularly in light of the SCOTUS decision from the Supreme Court, although it did not specifically apply to businesses, it it really is being extrapolated. And you happen to, to hit on the fact that, yes, you're also an educational institution and also impacting operating in the broader world. That being said, that everyone has an opportunity to be more intentional and proactive about making sure that we maintain those cultural connections and make sure that we continue to be on that path of inclusion. And one that's near and dear to my heart is emerging leaders. You talked about the fact that you know, you have done all these international theaters and international stories and so forth, but are encouraging emerging leaders. And I would extend that to really all leaders to make sure that you know the work that you're called to do, hmm. uh, right? And to make sure that if you're not an artist and you're in a an institution, a business institution or whatever, to spend time with artists and for emerging leaders to really think about what is the work to be done? And what is the work What is that is yours to do? And so those are all things that I think we all can have some apply to our own individual experiences. And for those of us who are parts of corporations and, and institutions that think more deeply and more creatively about the arts and the cultural exchange, the important cultural exchange and role that it plays. So... David, let our listeners know how they can reach you. Yeah, well, wonderful. It's a great summary. Thank you for listening so deeply. I would say you can reach me, find out more about my work at davidchouse.com. But more importantly, I hope that you will visit Arts Emerson's website, www.artsemerson.org. And I would be remiss if I didn't make a shout out for my beloved Museum of Fine Arts Boston, www.mfa.org, and the BSO, Boston Symphony Orchestra, as well as the Norman Rockwell Museum in Western Massachusetts, all doing incredible work. There are just a few. There's so many others that you should pay attention to because the work is happening and it is meaningful and it will help transform our communities. And so will people like you, David. Thank you so much for the work that you do. Thank you for your leadership. Always inspiring. And is there anything, any last nugget that you want to leave with our listeners? No, I would say go out and support the arts. Thank you so much for putting the spotlight on the work that so many of us are doing in this sector. It's really very much appreciated. You're very welcome. So thanks again, David. Look forward to seeing you around town and looking forward to seeing your next what you what you'll do next thanks for joining me here on entering the inspiration zone thank you for joining us on entering the inspiration zone until next time we would love to hear from you so if you'd like to join our mailing list please send an email to info at 
inspirationzonellc.com. That's info at inspirationzonellc.com. And be sure to put podcast in the subject line. Thank you and have a fabulous day.